Good morning and a very warm welcome to Africa Rise and Shine. This is Channel Africa from an African perspective coming to you live in Johannesburg, South Africa. We are on the frequencies 7230 kHz on the 41 meter band to Southern Africa and on 11925 kHz on the 25 meter band to West Africa as well as DSTV's audio bouquet channel 802. I'm Lulu Gabu. In studio with Anne Musa, Tabiso Luhoko and Figile Lingwati. In our top stories on Africa Rise and Shine at the Sawa, Americans go to the polls today for midterm elections and unions vow to fight retrenchments at the South African Broadcasting Corporation. In economics news, Zimbabwe to announce winning bidders for mining assets and in sports news, six players join Springbok squad in Paris for test against France. But first up, the news with Anne Musa. A very good morning to you. I'm Anne Musa. Equatorial Guinea's ruling parties expelled 42 of its members for their alleged role in a coup bid late last year. A resolution passed by the party's disciplinary committee says the ruling Democratic Party of Equatorial Guinea decided to expel them for their role in the failed December 24th coup. Those expelled included a former ambassador, at least two former judges and the former head of security for President Teodoro Obiang Ngema, Africa's longest serving leader. In March, the Convergence for Social Democracy, Equatorial Guinea's second largest opposition party, said the coup bid had been organized from within the ruling party. A huge surge operation is continuing in Cameroon for 79 children who were kidnapped from a boarding school. Unidentified gunmen seized students and the principal at the facility in Bamenda in the northwest of the country. The government blames rebels who support independence for Cameroon's English-speaking region. The rebels have denied responsibility. The BBC's Peter Taha reports from Bamenda. It was quite a terrifying scene. Some of the parents had come to witness what had happened and some of these students, some of the children, some of them escaped. All of them were really in shock. We saw the governor, the regional governor for the Northwest region, trying to comfort the parents as well as the, the children, telling them that the security forces are going to do all they can to secure the release of, of their children and of their friends. United States intelligence agencies have warned Americans to be wary of Russian attempts to spread fake news ahead of crucial midterm vote. The announcement came days after a new study found that misinformation on social media was spreading at a greater rate than during the run-up to the 2016 presidential vote. Russia is accused of manipulating that election in favor of now President Donald Trump. The vote will determine control of the Senate and the House of Representatives and is being seen as a referendum on Trump's presidency. The BBC's Dan Johnson reports. American politics has been very polarizing over the last two years. Many people feel very strongly either in favor of Donald Trump or against him. And the signs are that whichever side they're on, they're likely to turn out and vote in record numbers if they haven't already cast their ballot in early voting or through postal votes, because about 35 million Americans have already done that. That's way up on the last midterm elections four years ago. There is an excitement and energy about these elections elections that no one can remember at any other previous midterms.
The European Union has recalled its ambassador to Tanzania, citing the deterioration of human rights and rule of law situation in the country. This follows last week's call by Dar es Salaam's governor for the outing and arrest of homosexuals. A statement emailed to the Associated Press on Monday said the EU will be conducting a broad review of its relations with Tanzania. The statement does not cite specific issues, but there are fears of an impending crackdown against homosexuals. After Dar es Salaam's governor, Paul Makonda, urged Tanzanians to spy on suspected gays and lesbians and to report their activities. The battle between South Africa's opposition DA and the government over where the former president, Jacob Zuma, was entitled to use taxpayers' funds to fight corruption charges is due to come before the High Court. In the capital, Pretoria, the DA lodged an application in March asking the court to set aside the government's decision to pay Zuma's legal fees. The court has set aside two days for the case. Zuma's next appearance on charges of corruption, money laundering and racketeering is due to take place in the High Court in Peter. Maritzburg in KwaZulu-Natal province on the 30th of this month. And that's the news headlines at 8.30 Central African time. Africa, rise and shine. Africa, Zorza. Africa, Amuka na Unai. Millions of voters across the United States will today decide which party controls both houses of Congress, 40 governorships nationwide, and the balance of power in almost all state legislatures. All 435 seats in the House of Representatives are on the ballot, with 35 Senate seats in play. Republicans and Democrats alike have brought out their heavy hitters to make the closing arguments in the race seen as reshaping the direction of the country that could either embolden the presidency of Donald Trump or provide a firm check on his agenda. Sharon Bar's Peace reports. The President of the United States, Donald J. Trump. And I'm proud to be an American. They call it the Trump Factor president rallying his base at events in multiple states this past weekend, with polling consistently showing that the Republican Party's grip on the House of Representatives is in jeopardy. we got to win Congress, in all fairness, just because the Democrats won't be doing that. The Democrats are going to be raising your taxes. They're not cutting your taxes. So I have to put a little caveat. we got to win Congress. Got to win the House. I think we're doing great in the House. I think we're doing great in the Senate. But who knows, right? Who knows? You got to get out to vote. But I will say, there is an electricity in the air, the likes of which I and you have not seen since the 16th election. Democrats have a seven-point advantage, according to an NBC Wall Street Journal poll, with 50% of likely voters preferring a Democratic-controlled Congress, while 43% want Republicans in charge. In the race for the control of the Senate, Republicans appear to hold the advantage, with many Democratic incumbents running in rural states that President Trump won handily in 2016. Listen to two of the president's supporters, outside a rally in Georgia this weekend. First, Billy Robinson. You know, Trump is the president of the United States. He cares about us. He cares about Georgia. He cares about everyone in the United States. 
he's the person that we needed and that's the person we voted for and hopefully we'll have him again for four more years after this term. And I think he's doing a very good job to help the candidates of Georgia. While Ken Lambert says the president is delivering. A lot of their effort is to demonize the other side and say, say you know, you should be scared of them, that you're going to lose your rights, you're going to not have jobs or whatever the issues are. But quite frankly, recently it's been the Republican Party that's delivering as far as the economy, taxes. Um, they're having open discussions about immigration. The opposition party is still hoping for the much-vaunted blue wave that could be curtailed by the enthusiasm President Trump enjoys among his core supporters. This has seen his predecessor, Barack Obama, stumping for candidates all over the country. You get to vote in what might be the most important election of our lifetimes, maybe more important than 2008. Because, because America's at a crossroads right now. There is a contest of ideas going on right now about who we are and what kind of country we are going to be. Health care for millions is on the ballot. A fair shake for working families is on the ballot. And most importantly, the character of our nation is on the ballot. This was Democratic supporter Harris Silver in Los Angeles talking about the importance of this election. Well, of course it matters. Uh, you have to participate in a democracy. That's part of the process. Um, where I happen to live, it's overridingly democratic. So my, it, it won't matter that much. But if you live in a place where uh, there is a contention, obviously people need to get out and they need to vote. What's happening in this country is uh, it's a national nightmare. With early voting breaking records for midterm elections, far surpassing the numbers seen in a similar election in 2014, while the cost of this election is expected to exceed $5 billion, overwhelmingly fueled by energy on the left. I'm Sherwin Bricepees in New York. As election season fast approaches in South Africa, unity amongst various political parties remains in the spotlight. Most would expect political parties to be pinned up against each other during this period, but this has become the opposites with political battles brewing further within organizations and continued divisions. In recent weeks, South Africa's ruling ANC members have laid their internal battles bare in the public, with the official opposition, the DA, having seen some Similar cases. Problems in the political landscape have also reached even smaller parties, such as the IFP and the AIC. Mbali Tetani has more. South Africa is a multi-party democracy where several parties are represented in the country's political sphere. More often than not, the competition between them seems to come from within themselves than their opponents. The ANC has been battling internal divisions with some of their structures taking the party to court and secret meetings to oust leadership, forcing the NEC to close ranks and call party members to order. ANC Secretary General Ace Mahashule. We have agreed that moving forward, we don't need uh, people to have, uh, people must meet, uh, have uh, ANC meetings, uh, people must engage, uh, provinces must uh, be able to invite each other, one another, so that they don't, uh, and people and leaders don't meet in corners. 
political analyst Professor Mtsebi Singlejane believes that this is part of politics. Politicians tend to think that they are the best thing ever, right? And, and all of them think that they are more deserving of leadership than the other. So at times these egos uh, cannot be subdued. You know, no one wants to defer to the other, right? Uh, and if you don't have an, an independent personality within the party, whom can act as an arbiter um, to resolve disputes, for instance. Um, So you are likely to have turbulence within a party. For the DA, its prolonged fight with former Cape Town Mayor Patricia DeLille is another case in point, forcing her to resign as mayor and from the official opposition. And it's for this reason that I can vacate my position in the knowledge that I have given everything. Everything I've given all the time. And despite the effort to tarnish the work of my hands, I remain resolute to serve my country in any capacity because I know that the truth will prevail. And so this is my this is the real resignation letter, not the one that the speaker claimed that he got uh, yesterday already. Nechane further says newly formed parties often find it difficult to change and find new ways of doing things. If you look at the, at the DA, for instance, the DA is a party in transformation. Uh, it was historically white, and now they want to expand into the black uh, community. With that expansion, you are not only winning over black voters, but you are also bringing in politicians who are not historically part of the DA. Because some of them come from the ANC and they have a particular way of doing things and they might not share the DA's liberal position uh, because these are black people who think that the state should be a lot more involved in social issues, for instance. But on the other hand, within the DA, you still have the old establishment that thinks that the DA should maintain its old historical position, liberal position. The IFP has also not been spared. It has had to postpone its elective conference due to internal divisions over who will take over the reins. Party President Mangosutu Butelezi had nominated Velenkosi Nihlabisa to assume leadership, but not everyone in the party is happy and the conference has been postponed indefinitely. Some new parties also find themselves in fighting the same battles. The AIC removed its councillors in Ekuruleni, accusing them of running parallel structures. But Ngajane says parties like the EFF can learn from these incidents to avoid similar internal battles. Even though they uh, like the EFF policies, because those policies speak to them, but equally, they also like the leader, the charisma of the leader. So the risk there is that once the leader leaves, because they claim to be a democratic party, uh, so you must have elections, you must have new leadership. But my fear is that because it has been entrenched as a patron-based party, based on personal charisma, once you remove that charismatic figure, the appeal of the party wanes, right? Um, so it's, it's, a, it's a delicate balance. Uh, it's a risk that they will have to take, but they must ensure that they introduce more and more leaders and stop focusing more on the party. South Africa is expected to go to the polls next year to elect new government. This will see probably the most contested elections 
in the country's history. Ambali Tetani in Johannesburg. Remembering Mama Albertina Sisulu. We will say whatever we are expected to say by the people. And we are aligning ourselves with the struggle for the people. We are aligning ourselves with the struggle for the liberation of the oppressed people of this country. Hashtag Mama Sisulu Centenary. Channel Africa. Some analysts say with anger and frustration amongst the electorates, there is a need for a real alternative party in South Africa. This follows the intention by Metal Workers Union, NUMSA, to register a workers' party ahead of the 2019 national elections. A proponent of the Socialist Revolutionary Workers' Party and NUMSA General Secretary Irvin Jim says the freedom of the working class and the equality of workers will be high on their priority list, Ndebu Mokobo reports. For the first time since the dawn of democracy, South Africa will have a workers' party in the 2019 ballot paper. The Metal Workers' Union NUMSA has confirmed that the country's electoral body, the IEC, has given it the green light to register a political party the Socialist Revolutionary Workers' Party. NUMSA General Secretary Ivan Jim explains what his Workers' Party will look like. The Workers' Party will be a vanguard party, both constituted by the advanced detachment with a critical mass of the working class. It is the party that will be propelling, that will be championing the interests that NUMSA will be championing for workers. But in the main, this is not a Workers' Party of NUMSA. This is a Workers' Party for the rest of the working class in the country. And we're making a call to the workers. Now it is their time to go all out, to join what is their own, to strengthen it, And of course, we want a party that is going to be run on the basis of mandate, accountability. We don't want to repeat what we have gone through in the Liberation Alliance. And Labour analyst Terry Bell says the formation of the new party is informed by anger and frustration of the electorate after realizing that their needs are not catered for by the country's political class and conventional political parties. The point here is we don't really have an alternative to the left within South Africa. I mean, the EFF calls itself a socialist, Marxist, Leninist, nationalist party, which is a total confusion and contradiction. In fact, by adding in the nationalist element, it becomes to the right rather than the left. So we don't really have an alternative that's saying let's put forward the classic idea of a socialist. We don't have one. But I think the electorate, by and large, and this is because you have so many people who abstain during election, the electorate by and large are getting more and more angry with and perhaps frustrated with standard political parties and politicians. So I think here NUMSA may see this as an opportunity to put forward some kind of alternative. His sentiments were echoed by political analyst Stephen Friedman, who said although there is indeed a space for such a party, it would be difficult for the people to vote for a new political formation based on economic issues as opposed to their identity. There isn't a fully left-wing party in South African politics. The EFF presents itself as a left-wing party, but it's very concerned about racial issues rather than inequality issues. So there certainly is space for that. But the problem for this new party is, are there large numbers of voters who are prepared to vote for this? And certainly the evidence we have at the moment suggests that although they will 
fill a gap in our politics, they will find it very, very difficult to win voter support. People are likely to say, look, if I'm a worker, I deal with economic issues in my union member hat, but my South African citizen hat, I vote for a party who I think represents the identity of people like me. And I think that's the big stumbling block. And that's why, as I say, most NUMSA members last time did not vote for the United Front. They preferred to vote for other parties. And with the never-ending battle to do away with labor brokers, some workers on the streets of Johannesburg say this is just but one testimony that worker issues have been relegated to the bottom rung by traditional political parties. They say the new party will be an appropriate platform to champion worker rights. Yeah, I do need a workers' party because of it just help us in our working environment. So definitely it's a point because there are most of the things that really need a more company. So if it will help us. The Workers' Party is needed in South Africa because it's going to help us a lot. There is a lot of things that we need from the companies that the companies that didn't, didn't give us. Do you understand? So if there is a Workers' Party, it will help us a lot in South Africa. Yeah, I think uh, it needs a uh, workers' part because uh, most of the people are suffering. They don't have jobs. Other people stay a temporary job. Meanwhile, proponents of the Socialist Revolutionary Workers' Party say their new formation will be launched in December or in the early days of next year. I am Tebu Mokobo in Johannesburg. South Africa's Home Affairs Minister Malusi Gigaba is this morning expected to brief Parliament's Portfolio Committee on Home Affairs on the decision to grant the wealthy Oppenheimer family permission to operate a private terminal at the O.R. Tambo International Airport. The committee wants the minister to clarify contradictions between statements he made before them and statements he made more recently. Meanwhile, the country's main opposition party, the DA, has called for Gigaba to be fired in light of a public protector finding that he had lied under oath. Joseph Masia reports. Chauke says they want to give the minister an opportunity to clarify the department's stance on this matter. He says the public protector's findings and the constitutional court ruling put into question the admissibility of information that Gigaba and the department have previously put before the committee. The information that we got as the committee was that he's appealing the decision of the appeals court. And what we have learned now is that he was no longer appealing the decision of the appeals court was now appealing his powers to appoint a company. So that contradiction needs to be clarified uh, so that on the records of Parliament are very clear of uh, what he said exactly. Despite all these findings against him, Gigaba maintains he never granted permission to the Oppenheimer family to set up a private terminal at O.R. Tambo Airport. He says it is not in his powers to do so. The minister would have acted out of kilt with his mandate and powers if he gave verbal approval. In actual fact, had I done so, both court and government would have had to find me guilty of uh, overstepping my powers and doing things which I was not supposed to do because there is no way in the Public Finance Management Act and Supply Chain Management where it is said ministers can meet with applications for transactions and give them verbal approvals on the basis of which then a contract is entered into. Dear leader Musi Maimane insists, however, that it is time President Cyril Ramaphosa fired Gigaba, especially in the light of the High Court ruling as well as the findings of the public protector. In February of this year, the matter of Fireblade Aviation, the Minister of Home Affairs, Judge Neil uh, Turchton, of the North Gauteng High Court, found that Gigaba, when he was still Minister of Home Affairs, 
deliberately told untruths under oath and that he committed a breach of the Constitution so serious that I could characterize it as a violation. Code saying Kigaba is a liar and should not be in cabinet. That was the leader of South Africa's main opposition party, the DA, Musi Maimani, ending that report by Joseph Masia in Parliament. Are you looking for opportunities to network with Africa's business leaders? Do you want to engage with movers and shakers and participate in master classes presented by industry experts? Then, here's your personal invitation to attend the fourth annual Africa Women Innovation and Entrepreneurship Forum and Exhibition taking place on the 8th and 9th of November in Cape Town, South Africa. If you want to register, then visit www.awieforum.org. Again, www.awieforum.org. If you cannot make the event, then don't worry. You can follow it through live broadcasts on Channel Africa. Channel Africa, bringing you the African perspective. South Africa's Public Enterprises Minister Pravin Gordon says South African Airways employees, management and board have six months to make the airline attractive to investors to save the company. Addressing hundreds of SAA employees at the company's headquarters in Jet Park, east of Johannesburg, Gordon warned that if all workers don't do the right thing, the airline will collapse. Last week, Finance Minister Tito Mboweni suggested that the loss-making airline should be closed down. Sabumungwai reports. Public Enterprises Minister Pravin Godan has told SAA employees about measures to save the loss-making airline. Godan indicated that the airline needs to regain market share from 20% to 45%. He also urged employees to report corruption, saying that the airline needs to clean out the debt in order to survive. Gordon says SAA workers must demonstrate that the airline is worth keeping. If you do the right things at the moment, there's a possibility of getting a private sector uh, equity partner who that brings in more capital on the one hand uh, and perhaps more expertise as well and save all these jobs. So if we don't do the right things, as the Minister of Finance will say, it's going to collapse. So the options are ours. You know, make it happen in the next six months and provide proof to the country. That as a board and as a management and as a staff, you are serious about saving your airline. SAA CEO Vuyani Jahana says the airline is reviewing all their contracts. He says this is in an effort to reduce costs and ensure that the airline is competitive. The CEO also said that the airline will be laying charges against those found to be involved in fraud. We are reviewing every contract, every cost base, so that we can actually give ourselves a chance to compete in the process of reviewing contracts. To the extent that we find that there may have been malfeasance or wrongdoing, we continue to deal with those people. The big focus for us is how quickly can we bring the cost base down so that we can give ourselves a headroom to compete and win in the market. Meanwhile, Labour Federation Fedusa has welcomed the minister's efforts to save the airline. Dennis George is with Fedusa. You know, we cannot just close SAA down. You know, what are we going to tell the 10,000 workers and the families that's working for this company? And South African Airways also carries the national flag, you know, of the country. And we, as the South African Airline Pilots Association and Fedusa, see this meeting as a very important intervention. You know, to put the situation right in the first place 
that everybody in SAA, whether it's management, whether it's the board, whether it's the, the trade unions and the workers, must all work together to find proper solution. The Federation has also welcomed Gordon's efforts to investigate corruption at SAA. I am Tepo Mungwai in Johannesburg. No matter where you go, remember the road that will lead you home. One of Africa's most impressive events, the East African Market Festival, is taking place in Johannesburg, South Africa's biggest city, during the month of November 2018, culminating the main event on the 17th of November. Hosting a selection of incredible talented musicians, a craft market, East African cuisine, and much, much more, the East African Market Festival. Bring your family and friends. Come experience East Africa. If you cannot make it, then join Channel Africa as we bring you the excitement and sounds from the event. Channel Africa, bringing you to the African perspective. Our headlines up next with Anne Musa. A very good morning to you. I'm Anne Musa. On the headlines, Equatorial Guinea's ruling party expels 42 of its members for their alleged role in a coup but late last year. A huge search operation is continuing in Cameroon for 79 children who were kidnapped from a boarding school. And U.S. intelligence agencies warn Americans to be wary of Russian attempts to spread fake news in the crucial midterm vote. Those are the stories making headlines. South Africa's tourism minister says he is confident South African Airways will be able to turn around its fortunes in the next few years. Derek Hanekom made the remarks as he visited the annual World Travel Market in London, one of the largest tourism trade shows on the global calendar. It comes just days after Finance Minister Titumboweni suggested the airline should be shut down. South African exhibitors are out in force, as usual, at the show after a disappointing 2018. Catherine Drew reports from London. Animals, safaris, cities, food. South Africa's best is on show via a VR headset, which gives potential visitors a suggested itinerary. They can enjoy a virtual tour of South Africa in two minutes. Getting visitor numbers back to their 2016 record levels is the preoccupation of many after a dip, particularly from the UK, amid concern about Cape Town's water shortages and changes to regulations on children travelling. However, South Africa's tourism minister, Derek Hanekom, says the outlook 
is bright. I see 2019 as a big growth year for UK altogether, I should say, for international tourism arrivals next year. I think it's going to be a bumper year, but for UK in particular, because we, we had the, the sort of a, the backslide. So we're going, to, we're going to recover and recover quite, I believe, quite spectacularly. The stand for South African Airways appears to be more modest than in previous years, perhaps reflecting cutbacks. However, the minister remains upbeat about the airline's fortunes, despite high-profile questions about its future viability. Derek Hanekom again. South African Airways on its own is embarking on a turn-and-round strategy, but it will need financial support over the next few years. We believe we can nurse it back into recovery, and we will contemplate, and that is a cabinet position of my own, we will consider strategic equity partners, sort of partner airline companies, if you like, but closure of SAA is not an option as we stand now. The fierce competition for tourist dollar is on colourful display at the world travel market, with stands and pavilions from all corners of the world, reminding participants there is no room for complacency in the tourism market. Exhibitors I spoke to shared the tourism minister's upbeat assessment, due in part to South Africa's current favourable exchange rate. However, there are other factors operators see on the horizon. Colin Nelson Thaver believes his luxury adventures business, Southern Africa 360, could be particularly affected by the UK's upcoming departure from the European Union. However, he takes heart in regulation changes at home. My biggest concern is Brexit and, and the impact that that's going to have, not just on South Africa, but Europe as a whole in terms of spin in, in, into South Africa. Internally, I think we, we, our visas um, is definitely an issue, but the positive sign about that is that, and the message that I think we're sharing at the show as well, is that it is going to be changed, it is going to be uplifted, and it is going to be a lot more easier to tour South Africa. So those are the two concerns I have at this moment. Despite the downturn of 2018, the mood at London's world travel market is upbeat, with the tourism minister and many of the exhibitors believing 2019 will be a year of recovery. Catherine Drew at the World Travel Market in London. Worker unions have pledged to fight to the bitter end in the ongoing retrenchment saga at the South African Broadcasting Corporation, the SABC. Last week, the public broadcaster announced over 2,000 planned retrenchments. Unions have planned Black Wednesday and a national picket on Friday in protest of the looming retrenchments. Zolega Kotashe has more. The ongoing battle between SABC workers and its management continues over the dreaded retrenchments. Yesterday, trade unions broadcasting electronic media and workers union Bemawu and the Communication Workers Union CWU addressed packed auditoriums in Auckland Park, Johannesburg. Members gathered in hopes to have their fears allayed and to establish a way forward. Workers appeared visibly disappointed in the approach taken by the public broadcaster. Last week, the executive members announced the retrenchments of over 900 permanent workers and over 1,000 freelancers. However, CWU General Secretary Aubrey Shabalala says there was no consultation prior to the announcement. We want to be part and parcel of a turnaround strategy in terms of our inputs as workers so that we make sure that SAPC going forward is viable, self-sustaining, so that that strategy is endorsed by all parties. You can't have a turnaround strategy alone and come out of that turnaround strategy and say, I've consulted with unions. To be very clear, unions were not consulted. The SABC has responded to the claims. The public broadcaster's spokesperson, Newa Momodu, says the consultation will take place under the CCMA next week, Tuesday. 
The consultation process is to be conducted under the auspices of the CCMA and the first consultation session is scheduled for 13th November 2018 between the SABC and organized labor. Employees will be consulted as required by sections 189 and 189A of the Labor Relations Act. It is anticipated that the process will take 60 days to conclude from the date of issue of notice. However, Bamao President Anas Dubasson says the lack of communication from the SAPC board on the impending retrenchments is disrespectful. We requested the list and we haven't had the courtesy of even an answer. This is how disrespectful this management is. We as a trade union speak on behalf of each and every one of you. They don't have respect for you because they don't bother to answer those questions that has been asked. Bamau has also called for the SAPC to be put under business administration. The union says while this process may not guarantee immunity from retrenchments for workers, it can be a solution to avoid them. We believe that what will be looked at first is the SABC at this point in time. We will sit around the table with those appointed management and be properly and sincerely consulted on that process. There have also been growing calls for the removal of the top three executive members. The CWU made this call to a cheering crowd, saying the current members do not operate with the best interests of the workers. Zoleka Kotashi, Johannesburg. Africa, rise and shine. Africa, Zorna. Africa, Amuka na Unai. Kenya's new high-speed train line is the country's largest infrastructure project since independence. It's been operating for just over a year, but its future is now in question. Along with the dent of the project has made in Kenya's finances. The railway has already lost more than $100 million since commissioning. The BBC's Zawadi Mudibo reports from Nairobi. The Chinese-built standard-gauge railway connects the port city of Mombasa with the Kenyan capital Nairobi. The 470-kilometer line replaced the old meter-gauge railway built by the British in 1902 and nicknamed the Lunatic Express. While most Kenyans agree that the country needs modern infrastructure, critics argue the $3.2 billion price tag was not economically prudent. The Kenya government is expected to soon start repaying the facility from the China Exim Bank at an average $300 million a year. David Lee is an economist. It is not viable. It cannot compete price-wise without a subsidy. And the question becomes, why would you put so much public money in a project that requires a subsidy for something that was not being subsidized before? 
the government has said it expects the trend line to boost Kenya's economy, hoping for an increase of 1.5% GDP. But critics say that both the government and the railway service are being unrealistic about how quickly they will be able to make back the money invested. I caught up with the Kenya Railway Service Acting Managing Director, Philip Mainga. Currently we are earning around 400 million US dollars uh, per year and we expect this to grow because our target is to achieve a target of about 16 to 18 trains per day. At 50 billion dollars, Kenya's public debt is more than half the value of its economic output. It ranks at position 14 in Africa using the debt-to-GDP ratio, according to the World Economic Forum. And last month, the IMF urged Kenya to refinance debt using concessional loans to lengthen maturities in the coming year and limit commercial credit for projects with high social and economic returns. This means that Kenya has cut public spending and raised taxes. Just months ago, there was a public outcry on the increase of value-added tax on petroleum products by 8%, a measure seen to be taken by government to meet its debt obligation. These passengers may be enjoying the new fast-speed railway, but they have doubts as to whether it is worth the final bill they will be left with. The ordinary Kenyan is suffering because uh, we keep paying more and more for um, services that are not up to par for what we are paying for. I think uh, as a country, we are feeling the pinch from um, the monies that the country has had to borrow to put uh, the infrastructure. But at the same time, I think it's a, it's a good thing, bearing in mind that we can see some of the work that's been done. Um, should we keep borrowing? I should think we should probably slow down on the borrowing. The railway project is undoubtedly a symbol of progress. But the big question remains, will it attract the volume of business it needs to make its future sustainable? That report by the BBC's Zawadi Mudibo in Nairobi. Africa, rise and shine. Africa, Zorza. Africa, Amuka na Unai. South Africa's Gauteng province has become the leading launching pad for many international investment and financial conferences. The Africa Investment Forum is the latest conference to launch in South Africa. Organizers believe the conference will position South Africa and the Gauteng province in particular as a destination of choice for investment conferences. The event is expected to pull experts from across all sectors of industries. The African Development Bank will be championing the forum. Its President says the event will be purely transactional rather than a talk show conference. The forum will take place this week from Wednesday to Friday. Amina Akram reports. The African Investment Forum follows on the heels of President Sil Ramaphosa's investment conference last month. Ramaphosa announced that South Africa would receive almost 300 billion rands in investment over the next five years. The African Investment Forum hosted by the African Development Bank is also expected to attract investment into the country. Mozi Mathema is acting group executive at the Gauteng Growth and Development Agency. He says South African businesses should also make use of the African Free Trade Agreement to do business with the rest of the continent. In less than 4,500 days, there will be 2 billion people in our continent. Of those 2 billion people, 60 will be under the age of 30. 
Therefore, the agenda of the African Development Bank, also expressed in our agenda, is the provincial government, and which is to to feed Africans, to industrialize Africans, to educate Africans, to integrate Africans, to improve the trade footprint of Africans, is more relevant and urgent than ever. Our continent has never had a deficit of announcing exciting infrastructure projects, but we've always had a deficit in implementing how we fund those projects. Mdudu Zimbada is with the Gauteng Provisional Government. As the Gauteng Provincial Government, we are delighted to be the hosts and to be part of the conveners of this forum, which is the biggest, first of its kind, investment marketplace on our continent. That report by Amina Akram. Our economics update up next with Tabiso Luhuku. Good morning. The government of Zambia is encouraging investments in mineral refineries for the country to benefit from the high prices of cobalt trending on the international market. Zambia's Mines and Mineral Development Permanent Secretary Paul Chanda says the notion created that mining houses are only declaring copper in the mineral value chain was not correct. Mining houses declare various minerals such as gold, silver and cobalt, among others, Konkola copper mine, Mopani copper mines, even the Black Mountain mining operations having the presence of a cobalt. South Africa's tourism minister... Derek Hanagom says he's confident that the country's airlines, SAA, will be able to turn around its fortunes in the next few years. Hanagom made the remarks as he visited the annual World Travel Market in London, one of the largest tourism trade shows on the global calendar. This comes just days after Finance Minister Tito Mboweni suggested the airline should be shut down. Public Enterprises Minister Pravin Gordon on Monday warned SAA staff to make the airline attractive to investors within six months. Hanagom elaborates. South African Airways on its own is embarking on a turn-and-round strategy, but it will need financial support over the next few years. We believe we can nurse it back into recovery, and we will contemplate, and that is a cabinet position of my own, we will consider strategic equity partners, sort of partner airline companies, if you like, but closure of SAA is not an option as we stand now. Uganda expects to finalize a 2.2 billion US dollar loan deal with the China's Exim Bank by the end of the year to pay a part of a railway line to connect Kenya's Mombasa seaport with the capital Kampala. The new so-called uh, Standard Gorge Railway Line will replace an existing old one uh, to help make shipments faster and cheaper. China is helping to fund the project in both countries as in other areas of sub-Saharan Africa, China has become a major investor in Uganda. Botswana's Finance Minister Kenneth Matambo has announced that the government is committed to support financial service sector to prop up the country's gross domestic product. Currently contributing over 13% to GDP, Matambo says that the sector has potential to increase its share. The finance minister, who is expected to step down next year, has noted that a government's commitment to the financial sector has this year been buttressed by 
a number of laws passed in July relating to money laundering activities. Marriott International has announced a rapid expansion plans across Africa, which will see an increase in its Africa hotels by 50% in five years. A strong demand for select service brands and conversion opportunities are driving the momentum of growth for the company, amplified by five new hotel signings. The new signings will further consolidate Marriott International's presence in Ghana, Kenya, Morocco and South Africa, and mark the company's entry into Mozambique. The US dollar trades at 10.50 Botswana Pula. It's at 11.72 Zambian Kwacha. In BRICS currencies, the US dollar is trading at 3.70 Brazilian roll, at 66.12 Russian ruble, and at 72.68 Indian rupee. It's at 6.91 Chinese yuan and 14.27 to the South African rand. It's also trading at 77 pence to the British pound and at 87 cents to the euro. Gold is trading at $1,230, platinum $861 per ounce. The price of Brent crude oil is at $72.87 a barrel. From an African perspective, you're listening to Channel Africa. Our sports update up next with Figile Lingwati. In our sports update, we begin with rugby news. Primbo coach Rashi Rasmus admitted that it was not pleasant losing in the manner they did against England this past weekend, but said there were a few positives to take out of the 12-11 loss at Twickenham. Erasmus says it was a worthwhile experience for scrum halves Ivan van Sale and Ambrose Papir to get some game time, and for fullback Damien Valemsen. The Springboks arrived in Paris this afternoon, and uh, rather yesterday afternoon, were joined by England-based scrum half Faf de Klerk, fullback Veli Leroux, flank François Lou, and France-based utility bag Cheslin Colby. It was bad and, and, and was a bit of penalties, but we only considered six penalties, which is very, very loud. Three of them I thought was really tough call, calls on us for giving those other three away, so I thought the discipline was good. Um, and then the other positive, out of a loss, which is tough, tough to find sometimes, is, is we now, now know what we have in the two young lines and the young first team, uh, uh, and the guy likes it and calls his slot even after being out of the week. So I think we're building some life tech. Erasmus says his team will need to work on their execution and making the best of their opportunities if they are to win test matches. Erasmus was pleased with his team's technical approach to the game against England but bemoaned their poor execution as the reason for them to ultimately lose the game. Well, we've got a lot to work on. Um, I, think the, I think the tactical way we play uh, uh, different teams is players are understanding that. I really think on Saturday against England technically at stages we played really well. Uh, we just didn't convert opportunities. And I, I, I thought we found a good tactical way to play against New Zealand and against all the different teams we, 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 we attacked. The players are adapting really well. Uh, I think obviously the work on is execution and finishing opportunities. And our biggest challenge at this stage is to get captain and experience 
under the under the belt and drive, get comfortable. When you get to that World Cup, you know it's not you don't have four or five players with under five, six test matches because you won't win the World Cup like that. On to football news, Jürgen Klopp has denied omitting Zendan Shakiri from Liverpool's Champions League trip to Red Star Belgrade over security concerns and insisted it made sense to cool the situation down at the hostile Raiko Mitic Stadium. Kosovo-born Shakiri was left behind when the Liverpool squad flew to Serbia last night with his manager seeking to avoid controversy around the tie. Klopp admitted politics influenced his decision. The Switzerland international incensed Serbia after his 90th minute winner against them at the World Cup. We come here as a football team. We, we represent, represent uh, one of the biggest football clubs in the world and that's why we are here, to play football. And we want to focus on that, that's all. And because of the situation, people here well, all know better how the situation is, we, we decided not to bring Shakir. He and I said it, he's our player and he will play a lot of games for us. Tottenham manager Mauricio Pochettino does not think it would be embarrassing if his side were knocked out of the Champions League at the group stage. Spurs realistically have to beat PSV at Wembley tonight if they are to have any chance of extending their stay in the competition until after Christmas, with games against Inter Milan and Barcelona still to come. When you compete in, in that level, um, if you are not good enough, if you are not clinical in front of the goal, if you not defend like uh, we conceded again Inter Milan in the last minute, or we were weren't capable to win against PSV, um, I think if you don't deserve to go, not feel embarrassing, but of course disappointed, but not embarrassing. And there has been a late change to the lineup for the 2018 Mupani Copa Mines Kosafa Under 20 Championships after reunion gave notice of their intention to withdraw. Reunion will be replaced by a team from the Democratic Republic of Congo who have been no strangers to Kosafa events in the recent past and always bring skill and flair to the tournaments they take part in. Reunion, an associate member of Kosafa, had indicated an eager willingness to take part in what would have been a first-ever regional competition at any stage and age group level for the Indian Ocean Island, which is a region of France. But post Wednesday's draw in Kitwe, the Football Association said they would be forced to withdraw as they could not secure reliable flights from Reunion to Zambia for the event. And lastly, rising South African tennis star Lloyd Harris has been named as an alternative for this week's next-generation ATP finals in Milan, Italy. Harris, who moved up to a career high of number 110 on the ATP rankings, has been rewarded for his form after lifting two ATP Challenge titles in 2018, the Kentucky Bank Championship in Lexington and Stockton Challenger in California. The prestigious 21 and under event starts today and runs until Sunday. The world's top eight next-generation stars will be battling for title honors, but would and should any of them be injured or ill and cannot continue with the tournament, Harris will step in as the alternate. That's the Sport News this hour. Africa, rise and shine. Africa, Zorka. Africa, Amuka na Unai.
Recapping our top stories on Africa Rise and Shine at the Sour, Americans go to the polls today for midterm elections. And unions vow to fight retrenchments at the South African Broadcasting Corporation. That wraps up Africa Rise and Shine today. For myself, Lulu Gabu, producer Pumusura Magaza, technical producer Mario Edwards, and the rest of the team, thank you for joining us. For comments about our show, send us an email at info at channelafrica.org, WhatsApp on 277-6300327, or tweet us at Rise Shine Africa. On taking us to the top of the hour for the news on the frequency 7230 kHz on the 41-meter band to Southern Africa is Vicky Sampson with a song titled African Dream.